did some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have family or friends that might be interested in watching the show anywhere in the world, give them a call. Tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com. They can click on the TV show and read about it there. We have a fantastic audience again, and uh, let me read the roll call out here. Kevin, Mary Ellen, Brenda, Bonnie, Julie... Eileen, JJ, Richard, Aaron, Janet, Daisy, Rich, Elaine, Margot, Dan, another Elaine, Carol, Dave, Bill, Lindy, Derek, Jed, Michelle, Dave, Nancy, and Glenn. It's a great audience. We love to have them here and uh, appreciate their support and prayers for the show. I was a born-again Mormon. It's a book I'm supposed to hold up here and show you right now. I was a born-again Mormon. We have them in the audience. But uh, that can be purchased at, there's a, a graphic, Gift of Grace Christian Supply in Springville, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Christian Gift and Bible, Lifeway Books in Murray, Oasis Books in Logan. And, of course, you can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and get the book. If you can't afford one, don't go to the bookstores for it. But call, uh, contact us at Born Again Mormon. We'll send one out to you for free um, for those who can't afford it. Uh, last week on March 3rd, we held our monthly traveling pastor in Tooele. Pastor Pillow graciously opened up his church and uh, prepared the baptismal font for our use. And for two people who chose to publicly profess their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Tanya and Glenn, and uh, let's take a look at what happened at those baptisms. So, uh, my brother Glenn, do you publicly profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and do you wish to be baptized in His name? With all my soul, body, and mind. Then I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My sweet little sister here, do you um, publicly profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, Sovereign King of your life? I do. 
Ben Tanya, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's, uh, it's a great blessing uh, for me to be able to participate, uh, even attend those baptisms, and to see people make that public profession uh, for faith in Jesus Christ. Um, we receive some criticism at times for our stance on baptism, and so let me just say a couple things quickly about it. Um, we believe in baptism, obviously. Um, and we believe it's a very, very good and important thing for people to do who are seeking to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that baptism is the best public profession of faith that is in line with Scripture. And we also believe baptism does not save a person. We don't believe baptism... Uh, uh, you People are not baptized into denominations. We don't think that has any... Uh, biblical stance. You're baptized into the body of Christ. And when we say on the website, if you want to be baptized, no questions asked, what we're talking about is we're not going to put you through an interview process to determine your worthiness as to whether you should be baptized or not. That's what the no questions asked part means. Uh, obviously, we do ask questions because they're in the font, which was freezing in that place, uh, but we were glad to have it, and I didn't have to get in it very far, but we asked, do you, do you believe, do you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you accept him as the Lord and sovereign king of your life? And so we do ask those important questions, and, and we do believe baptism is such a blessing to uh, people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and the Savior. Okay. Up and coming at the E-Center on April 11th and 12th. That's a Friday and Saturday. The Rooted and Raised in Biblical Truth con uh, concert conference. There, uh, You can get tickets or find out more information by going to www.alatheatruth.com. Uh, it's up on your screen how to spell that. You can also call 801-280-8747 for more information. Anytime you can learn more about the Word of God, no matter who's putting that on, as long as it's true teachings of the Word of God, it's a great thing. So I would challenge you to investigate this conference once a year that's going to be going on. Um, there's been lots of debate as to who John from Illinois is. Some people are emailing saying he's not LDS. I'm fairly certain that John is. Perhaps more important is that LDS and ex-LDS recognize that his style and tone uh, is LDS. Anybody who has been a member of the church knows people who speak in those tones and in those terms and with those words and phrases that John is using. And I'm just prefacing this because he's been very quick to call, and I'm going to give him another chance, and then he's going to have to prove to us exactly if he's LDS or not. And I'll go and I'll talk to his bishop in Chicago via the phone and find out if he really is, and we'll get to the heart of it. But we've gotten so many emails from both sides, people saying he is LDS, the LDS saying uh, he's not 
LDS. And I feel bad for him because I'm certain he's LDS and the LDS are saying he's not. So that's going to be a, a difficult thing for him to hear. With this stuff, we're having kind of a relaxed show tonight. Um, and uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and we are so thankful for what you're doing in this state and in the lives of people. We uh, praise you. We thank you for your son. And we pray that uh, he will be with us as we seek to introduce him to those who do not know him. We pray for your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to take a minute and uh, bear my soul. And it's important to share with you openly and honestly so you have an opportunity to know of our intents and purposes in our ministry. Last week, I mentioned we had a caller uh, named John from Illinois, and there are many things that he said, but one of the things which he said repeatedly, which was very LDS, is he wanted to know, quote, what sins I had committed in my life which would cause me to turn against the church. One of the standard operations of people in the church when someone leaves for them to deal with the fact that someone has chosen to leave what is called the only true church on the face of the earth, it has to be a sin in their life that they have committed. In fact, the prophets have taught in the past that the only way someone could leave the church is if they have committed some egregious sin. I told John on the show that I had committed all of them. He wanted me to be specific, have, what sins have you committed? And I said, I've committed all of them, John. And I think it's a good time to lay out something that we haven't covered for a while here on Heart of the Matter. And so let's do that tonight. I worship at the throne of a sovereign God. I worship at the throne of the king of my life. I have found a king, a trustworthy, sovereign God that I can trust. And I trust him completely with the things that go on in my life and the things that I will face as I go on. I am his servant and I am his slave, his bondservant and slave. He freed me from the bondage of sin and death. He freed me from the shackles of philosophy, which I was uh, steeped in. And he re freed me from the religious and ritualistic confines of a, of a church. As an LDS boy, teen, young man, and as an adult, I struggled greatly between two polarized aspects of my personality. On the one hand, I had an endless thirst to know who God was. I desired to truly know who he was. On the other hand, I was inclined towards everything of the flesh. I was self-willed, lustful, greedy, angry, violent, impetuous, and full of revenge. And um, that is not an understatement. Anybody who knew me from those uh, uh, days before my knowing the Lord, including my wife and my children, can attest to that. I'm still, I still have many of these characteristics within my flesh. Mormonism constantly reminded me that those inclinations were faulty. But the only true solution to my nature, which is a regenerative relationship with Jesus Christ, was never presented to me as the final cure as a member of the church. And it is truly the only true cure to those things. But in Mormonism, the church was the cure. My activity in it, my allegiance to it, my obedience to the laws and ordinances of the LDS gospel was the solution. You see, as a member of the church, 
I was always the one who was falling short. You are always the one who's not towing the line the right way. I was always the one who couldn't measure up to the stalwart standards. I was always the one who was morally inferior or emotionally challenged or from a less active family. I was never Mormon enough for some people. And let me make something perfectly clear. They were right. They were absolutely right. I was morally inferior and I was to blame for these inferiorities. Who can justify anger or rage or lust or violence in the face of God? I certainly couldn't justify it. I was guilty. They were right. There was nothing I could do about it. The real question was not, what was the problem with Sean McCraney? The real question was, what is the solution for the Sean McCraney's of this world? What is the solution for people like me, especially in this context, people who are LDS? The LDS are not wrong in claiming that people like me are weak and sinful, but the solution they offer people like me was absolutely ineffective and uh, unacceptable. Scouting and primary isn't for every wayward boy. But they suggest that it is. Dress codes and rules of conduct and institutionalized worship work well for some people with high serotonin levels. But what about the rebels? What do you do with the disaffected people? What do you do with the people who are criminally minded? What? Joseph Smith's word of wisdom is fine and dandy, but what about those truly good-hearted people who just love coffee? or like cigarettes, or a beer every now and then? Does God banish them like they banished them in the LDS church? Mormons would leave you to believe that this is so. They would like for all the different people in their ranks to believe that these are spiritually inferior, and then they would like to reinforce the notion that the LDS stalwarts are spiritually superior. It's not so. To what lengths will Mormonism go to embrace those who are morally corrupt or culturally different? Do they, like Jesus did, accept people who live at odds with their man-made standards? What actually happens interpersonally or corporately when a villainous person admits to drinking coffee or smells like cigarette smoke or is a left-wing liberal and visit, they say, the only true church on the face of this earth. Will the LDS in the confines of these wards and stakes that are supposed to be so great and loving, will they accept them as the Savior of the world did? Will they give them callings of responsibility? Will they help them feel like they are very good uh, people because they know the Lord, not because they drink coffee or smoke cigarettes that they're evil? Do the stalwart LDS people let their children hang out with the non-stalwart LDS people? Absolutely not. Realizing that no matter how hard I tried, I could never relate to the portrait of authority that the bishops and stake presidents constantly place in front of you as what you have to strive for to be accepted as a Latter-day Saint. No matter how hard I tried, I did not see or find the Jesus I read about in the Bible. I could not find him in Mormonism. Other men and women and their families seemed to be able to live up to Mormonism the way it was presented, but I could not. 
and I witnessed firsthand how men and women were treated who were of a similar ilk. I remember seeing 45 and 55-year-old men, good family men, good hardworking men, who were banished to being in the elders' quorum full of 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds and 20-year-old men because they drank coffee. They weren't allowed to move up into the higher priesthood because they enjoyed a morning beverage from Colombia. And I'm like, wait, something's wrong. And then I would see, and I'm, this is my experience, 40 years, I would see some of the most bastardly men who were high priests who would never touch coffee, but who would stab you in the back in a, in a, in a heartbeat. Now, we find this in all religions. It's not that, that Mormons are filled with people who stab you in the back. Every religion will, has people who will do that. That's not the point. But the point is Mormonism has a worthiness screening that goes on. And every time you step in that place, this screening process is being established. First of all, what kind of clothes are you wearing when you come into the church? Are you wearing the white shirt? Oh, those boys don't wear the white shirt. Automatically, you're sitting in another area, not necessarily with the stalwarts. And the screening process of worthiness and goodness is constantly going on. Constantly. This is the burden, part of the burden, that the people in the LDS church feel. After I came to know Jesus as a Latter-day Saint, I started reading the Bible and I read things like 1 Corinthians 1.23. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews is a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. And I thought, huh, the solution of Jesus Christ crucified is considered foolishness to the Greeks. Interesting, that solution, Jesus crucified, foolishness. And then I read, it, uh, it says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring the, uh, to not things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence." Wow, I thought, that fits me perfectly. I, uh, I have nothing in which I could glory. I have been a fool. I have been the most base there is, in, at least in my heart, if not with my hands. But yet that is who God works with in this world? That's the complete opposite message I was getting as a Latter-day Saint. And then I would read in Luke chapter 18 where it would say, Jesus gives a parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing far off would not lift up so much his eyes into heaven, but smote his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, says Jesus, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Huh? I said to myself. This doesn't sound like the gospel message I've been fed my whole life. A message where I need to be righteous and holy in order for God to save me. A message where I am saved by grace only after all that I can do. This sounded like a message where God saves us as we are sinners. God looks down and he uses the weak things of the world. Those people who like coffee. 
Those people who might smoke cigarettes and don't get the wrong message. I hate coffee, I don't like cigarettes, and I don't drink. But so what if people do? We're going to have the screening process in heaven. God looks at the heart, my friends. So long story short, I was introduced to a living relationship with Jesus Christ through his word. That relationship transcends religion and rules and worthiness, but brings his righteousness to the forefront of the situation, causing me for the first time in my life to salute and bow and acquiesce and worship something other than my ambitions, something other than my accomplishments, someone named Jesus Christ. Worship him completely. My sovereign God, my Lord and master, he is everything. He is why I'm righteous, not my righteousness. He is why I'm saved. It was his blood that will reconcile me to the father when I take my last breath. Nothing I do, filthy rags. Do you get the picture? And this relationship actually empowers you to live a clean life thereafter. And that's one of the beautiful things about it. You might actually stop smoking cigarettes once you come to know Jesus. Who knows? If he wants you to do it, he'll help you do it. So I look around and I ask myself, am I alone in this LDS church? Was I the only reprobate who was lost? Was I the only one who couldn't fully connect to Mormonism as I faithfully served within it? No. Are the searching LDS constantly offered a relationship with Jesus Christ? No, never. In fact, the term relationship with Jesus Christ has just within the past years become more acceptable in the Mormon church, or as McConkie said in the early 80s, you are not to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your relationship is with the Father. All these semantical rules to keep us distant and keep us going back to the trough of, of, of perfection so that we can eat and never be full. You understand how that works? So the Lord told me to do something about it. Strong as that sounds, he told me to do something about it. And so we're going to call out to those of you who have long sat in the LDS meetings and wondered, is this all there is? We call out to you from this show tonight who have said in your heart, something's wrong with this picture. And I have plenty of emails from you who say you've said that in your heart forever. We call out to you who have felt unworthy. You are unworthy. The question is, what's the solution to your unworthiness? You're never going to get, if you're a middle-class, low-class LDS person, you're never going to get the respect and responsibility that you would want. So you might as well walk. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what you want. You don't care about your position thereafter. You care about your relationship with him. We call, we call out to you who seek for a promise of hope. We call out to those of you who have not had peace in Mormonism, who have not been accepted in Mormonism, who cannot and will not live as they tell you to live, but who want to know God personally and intimately. We call to you and we offer you a solution. It is not a solution based on my opinion or rules I think are important. It's based on your relationship directly to God. That's what it's based on. Not this show, not our ministry, not another church or a pastor or a book. It's based on your relationship with God. And the only thing we tell you to do is go to him. And we reinforce your going to him. This is our ministry. 
We get all kinds of things going on YouTube, emails saying our ministry is that. Our ministry is to reach out to those people who are LDS and need and want and seek to know the Lord and haven't found him. Before we go to the phones, we have four minutes. We'll pick them up. I just want to read some quick success stories. Praise the Lord. Uh, I have been a longtime Mormon since 1956, and like you, I got down on my knees and I asked God to come into my heart and save me, and he did. From Beverly, a handwritten note. Beverly's got to be probably in her 50s or 60s or, or 70s or something like that. From Joyce, these are long. All of them are long emails. I'm just going to paraphrase. From Joyce, and then I got pregnant. When I told him he demanded that I have a, that abortion was the only way, he was going to take me to Las Vegas and have it done. This was years and years ago. I thought I could tell nobody. My friends were all very Mormon. I was sure that no, no one would ever talk to me again if I did it. She meets a guy named Art at work, and he uh, befriends her in this pregnant state, and she doesn't have the abortion. And then it, she goes on into her life and tells about this struggle and this whole thing. And she has a child and then she marries Art. And then she says the last paragraph about four or five months ago, I started watching Heart of the Matter with my husband, Art. I guess he had been watching for a while but was afraid to ask me to watch because of how I was raised LDS. Funny thing is, I really enjoy your show and it has got me thinking about Jesus Christ again. Art and I have been going to church for four weeks now. We've been to Calvary Mountain Church twice, the Bible Fellowship Church at Pleasant Grove once, and at the UVSC once, and it has been an awesome experience. From Shirley, I have been watching for almost two years now. Never miss a Tuesday night. My family is all LDS. My husband died one year before your pro uh, program began. He told me he never believed the LDS doctrine but believed in God. Your program answered all my questions after losing my husband. I am a born-again Christian now. From Quinn, I have a hard time. I had a hard time believing in Jesus Christ as true Christians do. Even as a Mormon, I thought Gandhi was so important. My perspective of him was so distorted from Mormonism that I had a hard time accepting him. After watching your show over the past uh, several months, my heart has softened, and I now accept Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. It's a long email. She says much more. From uh, uh, Lindy. For years, I've had major doubts about the LDS church. There was something wrong that I could not shake. I could not quite grasp the problem. I began research and study. Of course, you know the outcome of that exercise. I took my concerns to people I trusted and respected. Each time, the responses made me very uncomfortable. They said, you think too much. You're disobedient. You must be sinning. You need to repent. Just follow the prophet. I became depressed, discouraged, lost, broken. As I watched on and off for several months, I began to hear what you were saying and realized your expressions that I was feeling inside. I want to thank you and your staff for your efforts and all your sacrifices, and thank you for the Lord is freeing me from the chains that bound me. Thank you for returning my freedom and the Lord that has been taken from me. We are currently attending Christ Evangelical in Orem, as circumstances permit. From Lynn... On and off Mormon 40 years, your show finally helped me realize that I was having such a disconnect with not feeling the spirit. I have no personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is why. I hardly know him. I have my religious upbringing to thank. When I spoke to my bishop about our experience, all I got were platitudes. God works in mysterious ways. You not have been worthy. You must have misunderstood. Keep going. God is testing your faithfulness. The last one just floored me. It made no sense. 
When someone comes with you broken humble, you don't send them away with less than what they came with. After watching the show for a few years or for a few months, I pursued your website, bought your book, Challenge, uh, Challenge to Develop a Personal Relationship with Jesus. I've been reading the Bible with new eyes. It helps. I felt free to branch out and get a Bible that's readable. I both enjoy your show's affirmations. I'm on the right path for the first time in my life. Please pray that the seed will fall on fertile ground. I could go on and on and on. And uh, these are just some of them that we've pulled out from our files. Finally, Glenn, I'm a member of the LDS Church and in a good standing who found the Lord about a year ago. I can say I am a born-again Mormon. This is a stage for Glenn. He's come to know the Lord. He's still LDS. I've allowed Jesus to come into my heart and take away my sins. Even though I'm aware of problems within the church history, I continue to attend because of remaining members of my family. And then he tells me a story about a guy who gets up and goes on and on and on and tells a story about his child being healed and how he thanks everybody under the sun, everything under the sun, except the Lord. That's not, that's not um, an aberration. That's a reality. And he says, only the Lord is able to save, heal, restore, and renew. And it is by faith we have access to him. Unfortunately, the members of the LDS church are so drunk with man worship, they often give credit to the church when the credit and praise should go to the Lord. This is what we're fighting against, my friends. This is the very thing we're fighting against. And we pray that you will give the challenge a chance to go to the Lord if you've been lost from him and find out who he is. Do it. Just confess your sins. Say, help me, Lord. Open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart. Let me know who you are. I want to know. And he'll be faithful and true to that plea. We're going to go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We have Miguel in West Valley City on line one. Miguel, you're on Heart of the Matter. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Um, I got a question for you. Um, I was reading Job last night. And uh, I know this, this is going to sound like I'm giving the Mormons ammunition, okay? Okay. But I, I remember growing up in the Mormon church learning that, uh, or they taught that you preexisted, you know, that we were just little, you know, spirit children waiting for bodies. And, uh, and then finally we get down here and we, we live this life. But I was reading last night in Job chapter 1, verse 6, and it says, Now, now was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along with them, or came along, came among them. And then it also says in Job 38, 7, uh, it says, And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now that's in the New King James Version. And uh, then I was, but then I pulled out my NIV, which I hardly ever read it, but in the NIV it, it says angels. So I'm surprised that, that, that they never use that. They do. You know what I mean? They, yeah, they use it a lot, actually. They do? Because I, I don't remember. You know, maybe maybe it's something that I might have learned a lot younger, but I don't remember them using that uh, particular verse or verses to defend their belief of preexistence. Yeah, they use it uh, quite often, uh, not realizing that the sons of God is just uh, an allusion, uh, alludes to uh, angels. And uh, quite frankly, you'll see from other aspects in the Bible that we are not sons and daughters of God until we have come to know Jesus through his uh, blood. So it can't be referring to man that we all came together because we weren't sons of God then. We become the sons of God once we have been cleansed by the blood of Christ through regeneration. But they will use that one. There's a few 
just like Jeremiah 1.3, before I formed thee in the belly, talking about Jeremiah, I knew thee. And, you know, we're talking about an omniscient God. They'll use that one and say, see, God knew Jeremiah before he formed him in the belly. God knows all things. Of course he knew him. He knew who he was. He knew what he would do. It doesn't mean he existed in a preexistent. So they take these certain scriptures, but what they don't do are take the scriptures, and there's plenty of them that show there was no preexistent state whatsoever. And if you watch our preexistent show, I think it was probably the third week in uh, January, we go into those scriptures that prove uh, from the Bible we have no preexistence. Right. Now, <clears throat> I, yeah, and I, and I believe that. I, I mean, I believe that we were predestined, but not pre, you know, we didn't preexist. That he did know us in the sense that he knew all things. And sure. He knows, he knows the future and, and all that. But why is it that they, why is it, it says sons in the Bible? I mean, if you think about it, that would trip somebody up, you know. And, and I used to get tripped up about things like that because coming out of Mormonism um, and then actually getting into the Bible, I would I'd think, well, what about this and what about that? And I, you know, well, Miguel... The, the thing about that is, is if you take somebody who wasn't raised and inculcated with Mormon doctrine, when they read those scriptures, they don't have any kind of problem of saying, was I in a pre-existence before? They just read right through and understand the context because they've understood the rest of the Bible. The reason it trips you up is because you have been taught this idea of a pre-existence. And so when you come to that, that verse, you automatically think, oh, maybe they were right, you know? And so it's a normal reaction, but all you got to do is look context, 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 and the Bible uh, does not teach that at all. It was a, it was a Hellenistic thought from the get-go, and Joseph borrowed it. Right, and, I, and I'm not tripped up by it, really. I, mean, I know. I, I used to. I used to get yeah. a lot more tripped up on things like this. But looking at it last night, of course, the devil always whispers in your ear and goes, oh, see, you know. But He yells at me. He doesn't ever whisper in my ear. He <laughs> yells constantly. You're funny. Hey, my God, we got to go on the next call. All right, God bless, man. God bless you. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody get your coughs out. All right, we're going to Travis. It's a sickly crew. They're good-looking, but they're very sickly. <laughs> We're going to Travis in Roy. First time caller, Travis. McCraney, what's up? Not, when they call me McCraney, it's usually a problem. You either knew me from before or uh, you're about to slam me. What's going on? I uh, remember I told you we were buds. Mm. Travis? Anyway, uh, quick question for you. Yeah. Yeah? Well, okay, and uh, we're going to go to Scott in Mesa, Arizona. Scott is a first-time caller. Scott, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Hey, I have a, a couple quick questions. First of all, do you know when your TV show is going to make it down here to Arizona? You know what? We uh, just had some really good news about some networks that are very interested in the show going on a much bigger basis. Pray for us in that area. Will and, do. and hopefully we'll get down to, uh, to Arizona. Okay. I've got two quick questions for you as far as uh, Joseph Smith and the Word of Wisdom. Um, do most LDS people uh, know that he clearly violated this as question number one? And then as far as question two, as far as the uh, exodus of the LDS people from Nauvoo to uh, Salt Lake City, um, what do the church leaders teach as far as was this a revelation given? I've been reading through um, Sandra Tanner's book, uh, Mormonism, Shadow or Reality, and uh, just reading about Brigham Young and all his counterfeiting stuff and uh, seeing that just blatantly uh, defying authority and if this was the real reason for their exodus. Yeah, uh, you want, you want, you're uh, watching on the air or you want me to answer with you on the phone? Um, I'm on the phone right now. Okay, 
Uh, first, Joseph Smith in the Word of Wisdom, the way they explain that away, it's, it's, it's apparent and obvious that Joseph Smith came out with the Word of Wisdom, and then what he's, what he's talking about, Scott is telling us, is that later on, Joseph continued to drink alcohol, and he continued to smoke or chew tobacco or whatever he did. And, uh, but the LDS will say, well, the Word of Wisdom was not really a commandment. It, when it first came out of Joseph Smith's mouth, it was by way of good advice, and then only later, as the saints kind of uh, gelled together in the Intermountain West here in Utah and other places, did the word of wisdom start to become more important? Did they start to really make it a commandment? And it was modern-day prophecy, I mean, modern-day revelation that taught them that now it really should be a commandment. So they kind of justified Joseph having received this thing, but because he says in it, it's not by way of commandment, they give him that, that liberality to abuse it for a while until they came in later and, uh, and threw down on it. And as far as Nauvoo to Salt Lake, um, they believe, I'm not sure they believe it was necessary uh, prophecy from what I've read too, and uh, from what I've read from the whole thing is that they believe they had to go somewhere. They sent scouts out to find where they should go. They had, uh, there were many people who believed they were going to go to the Great Salt Lake well before Brigham Young ever came and saw it and said, this is the right place. So, the, you know, there's a lot of um, facts that show they knew where they were going. And uh, and then what happened here uh, as far as his counterfeiting and stuff like that, I don't know their thoughts, you know, collectively. But just in general, in summation, they believe that once Joseph was martyred, they were kind of led in an exodus-type uh, fashion, just like the Jews were. And they went through this exodus-type deal, and they suffered, and they came into their own promised land. Okay. I hope that helps. It was kind of vague, but there's so much with church history and Brigham Young, and we stopped at Joseph's death last year, and we're going to continue on in 2009 with Brigham Young Forward. Okay. Hey, thanks so much, Scott. Thanks, Sean. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Jason in Salt Lake City. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, us ex-Mormons, we're pretty smart. The reason why is because if you think about it, if it all came down to it, me and you and the rest of us, we would not fight or die for the Book of Mormon. Sorry to offend you, faithful Mormons, but it's the truth. You would fight and die for your book, and we wouldn't. Us Gentiles, we're, we're too smart for that. <laughs> hey, in any ways, um, you should do some research. Um, in World War II, you know, we had Mormons in the army, but you know what? Hitler had Mormons, too, in his army. They were Nazi Mormons, and they, you know, they were LDS, too. And at times, they did come across paths and shoot at each other and kill each other. Believe it or not, it's true. If you go to the uh, BYU, you can get a bunch of tapes. It's, it's called, like, Men at War, um, documentaries and stuff like that. It's very interesting. It was like, uh -huh. man, Mormons fighting against Mormons. One regime's a Nazi, and the other regime, I just I watched the show a couple days ago, and I was, like, amazed. I was like, wow, this is, this is cool. Number three, about parenthood in the Mormon church. Dude, like, when you were going to be, like, a parent before that, you know, did you guys, did the Mormons watch each other, like, how they brainwash their kids so that way they'll stay faithful? You know what I mean? Like, I'll watch these parents, and so when I get older and have kids, I can brainwash them, too, and stuff. And that's all I got to say. I'll hey. let you go. All right, Jason. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. He had a lot to say. Um, you know what's interesting, too, just to be fair uh, so that we don't get uh, hate mail. You know, when it comes to war, we can go to war with other countries that have Christians 
carrying guns and shooting at other Christians too. So that, there's nothing really something so strange that Mormons are shooting at each other. I mean, uh, it's strange to think of a Mormon Nazi though. I, but anyway, I guess there were. I don't know the facts on that. But that, that kind of thing happens in this fallen world. And then as far as this last point, I don't remember what it was. So we're going to go on to Karen and Tawilla. Karen, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm working on it. So sorry about the cold water. Oh, oh, uh, Karen and Tuella, that's where we had the baptism. It's okay. The cold, yeah. the cold water was fine. It did its job. <laughs> well, we, we was just looking at, it's funny, because Job should come up tonight, because our boys were studying Job not very long ago in homeschool. Uh -huh. And you've got to read the end of the story. And funny that Job also has got other ones that claim Christ, and God, well, not Christ exactly, but God at the time, and how they was after Job for, you must have sinned, you must have done wrong, or you wouldn't have all this happen. But if you go to the end of the story, the big thing was, is Job 38, verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation, earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Ooh, that Karen. That is like right to what you guys are at tonight. Miguel, did you hear that? That's a great answer. And for the LDS who were stumbled by the sons of God were called together, she says that God's answer to Job after all the book of Job, God comes back and he asks Job a simple question. Where were you when, uh, when, when, when what, Karen? I made the earth's foundations. Right. And if there had been a pre-existence, then Job would have been there. And obviously, if he had been there, he would have said, I was with you, God. What do you mean, where was I? So, so, <laughs> but it's another point where he wasn't. Right. And not that we all don't do wrong, but this whole chapter, this whole book is about how we've got to be careful and be uplifting and helpful to one another regardless. Right. Help each other in the exhortations of the Lord, period. All right, and Karen, please give my love to Danny for his, his cold water expertise. God bless you. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good night. Bye. Danny, her son, was in charge of heating the water at the Tooele baptism, and he stood by the side of it, and he said, Come on, Sean, it's really warm. It's really warm. And uh, he didn't touch that thing with any heated water. All right, we're going to uh, Jim in Pleasant Grove. First-time caller. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Quick question for you. Uh, found Christ two years ago. Praise God. Wife both. Uh, as well, we actually just got baptized last Friday night at our church up there in, uh, in Salt Lake. Awesome. Uh, we have decided, for sake of uh, to stop giving our family false hope, that we're going to become Mormon again. Uh, we have actually decided to uh, renounce our membership in the Mormon church. Okay. Uh, question, can you clarify something for me? I am under the understanding that by resigning... Uh, they are saying that they are going to revoke all blessings and uh, which child blessings, any type of blessings at all that were said, they're going to revoke those. Have you heard that before? I have. Um, I didn't uh, recognize it as blessings to the children, but in my case, I was told that they are taking away all my personal blessings, uh, both here on earth and then in the afterlife to be, uh, you know, a priest and a king or, or anything else that all that is taken away from you, eternal marriage. But I didn't know that it uh, carried over to the children and the blessings you have given them. Um, but you know what? Even if it is, you, you gave them blessings by a, a priesthood that is not legitimate, and uh, God will bless them more abundantly than you ever could. So I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, and I'm not. I just think it's a, a little pompous to think that they can go ahead and take away the blessings from God. So Yeah, isn't that funny? Any Mormons that are out there listening, I'm sure that they're going to balk at it, but fact of the matter, it's true. So. Yeah. 
Hey, great job with your family to go and you find the Lord. You, you uh, take them to a Christian church. You're baptized, and now you're, you're moving along the Christian walk. That, that is just awesome. Great job. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye, Jim. All right, we're going to Mike and Lyndon. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? Just great. I had a quick question before I get to the topic I'm calling about. Um, I wondered why uh, the priesthood meeting on a uh, conference at 6 p.m. for the men is so important. I've often seen that a lot of guys that are disaffected and don't go to church often will go to that meeting at 6 p.m. Hmm. Hmm. Have yeah. you noticed that? Uh, you know, I, I haven't noticed that, but I live in a different state, so it could be different there, but I don't know the reason for that. Maybe they emphasize that. one case. That's the reason why I bring it up. Well, maybe it's because it's on a Saturday night and there's no football on on Sunday when they could be going to church. <laughs> I don't know, you know. It, I have no idea why that occurs. Oh, well, I just wanted to... You have a lot of insights, you know, kind of like the screening out process you were saying. Yeah. That, uh, people with white shirts and all that sort of stuff. So I, I appreciate all those insights. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Mike. Uh, well, here's the question that I'm asking tonight is... Um, when Jesus uh, looked at Peter and he said that I, uh, I will build my church, um, what, do you, what do you gather from that? It seems to me that we're often looking at Scripture and, uh, and the Word of God, and, and, you know, but the importance of a church seems to also be kind of important, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's important, very important. So what is my opinion of what Jesus was saying there to Peter? Well, it, it, my, my imagination takes me back 2,000 years, and basically I'm thinking of, uh, you know, people without books. I mean, until Gutenberg, right? Until uh, 1400, 1500 uh, A.D. Okay. What was, uh, I mean, how did people get to know Christ, if not a church? Well, I think they got to know Christ by the apostolic teachings. The apostles were sent forth into all the world, and Samaria, and Judea, and Jerusalem, and they were told to go out and teach, and they were cleansed through the word of God, and they went out and they, and they taught. And the church grew based on Acts 2 and what they did as a group at that time. And so I think that's one of the miracles of Christianity, is that from one man to 11 men and then 12, and then to now, you know, we know what it is and it has still existed. The small things, the mustard seed, I think, I think that's the miracle of Christianity. So, and I think the Bible, uh, but the, the apostles knew the word, and they knew the gospel, the new covenant, because of Jesus' teachings, and then when Jesus died and resurrected, and then we have the Holy Ghost come, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost teaches us all things, and so by all those operations of the Spirit, we have the church that has moved forward in truth, despite a lot of problems. I guess my, the only question that remains in my mind is that a lot of people, they go to work, they have families... They have their own forms of entertainment, and then basically when it comes around to Sunday, they go to an institution. They will go to a church, and most of them will not take it as seriously, perhaps, as you or I or the people listening to this show. Uh -huh. And it's still the church that they most familiarly you know, are, uh, are attached to, uh -huh. which will give them their direction spiritually. Right. So what's the final uh, uh, point, Mike? Well, I, I guess the final point is, um, how do you tear down a church? Any church? Any church. 
Well, oh you know, boy. Obviously, if, if, if what you want to do is, is bring people to Christ, and you want to tear down the Mormon church, uh-huh. how do we go about tearing the Mormon church down? Well, here's the thing, and we got to hurry with this, but here's the thing, Mike. The church is not a building. It's become institutionalized by men, but the church is a body of believers. So we are trying to get people to understand relationship versus religion. And when we attack Mormonism, what we are attacking is religion. And if people have relationship within Mormonism, praise God. But they traditionally do not. And from my own experience and from the, from the things we see in here. So we are attacking religion. And I attack religion on any level, whether it's Mormonism or aspects of Christianity, uh, embodied Christianity, corporate Christianity, anything that is making religion more important than relationship, we attack. It just so happens that I know Mormonism, so we do the show on that. But we are striving to get build the church, but it's a church of believers, not a building. I hope that helps, my brother. It's a good call. No, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting topic, and perhaps we, we should we should be praying for the destruction of the, of the institution. Yeah, well, that might be a good idea. <laughs> okay, I'm with you. All right, thanks so much. Okay. God bless. Bye bye. I'm gonna take uh, Larry in Oregon. Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, sir. I'm watching these on a week a week late. I just got to listen to that old John. You did, huh? <laughs> hey, I read your book. Not your book, the one about the, uh, the God of the bow, that shoot, the book of Abraham. Oh, now you the, did? The uh, guy's chop it up pretty good. <laughs> I thought it's kind of interesting how the Mormons will not believe uh, the, the, the the real Egyptian, the papyri that uh, Joseph Smith found you know, when it was really, truly translated. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Wasn't that lady that's on there, the McCraney one, that's just, isn't that your last name too? Yeah. Mallory? That- I mean, she might be a real relative. That's my daughter from last week, Larry. <laughs> from hey. New York? What's that? From New York? Yeah. She, she hey, lives. you better get that windmill going round and round. I'll get it someday, my friend. Uh, God bless you. God bless you. Enjoy your show. Thanks. Bye-bye. I think that was my dad, really. I, no, I'm just kidding, Dad. Uh, you, you know what? Uh, I, someone came up with a really good... Actually, this was a teenager. When they heard the show we did two weeks ago on Adam God... And, uh, and they heard everything that was taught about the Adam-God doctrine. And the teenager uh, leaned over to someone I know and said, so the Mormons believe that Adam was God, but they don't believe Jesus was God. I thought that was really insightful. Uh, let's go to Robert in Ogden. Robert, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, Sean. Yes. Yeah, hi, this is Bob. Hey, Sean, listen, did anybody ever tell you you look like Alec Baldwin? Alec Baldwin? Yes. No, they've told me I look like Drew Carey. <laughs> no, I've never been told I look like Alec Baldwin. Huh? No, I have not. What did you say? Oh, okay. You got to turn your TV off, Robert. Okay, I've got to turn my TV off. Okay, Sean? Yes. Um, I've got a question. Um, uh... Well, it's actually just something I have to tell you. I, I, uh, when I, I'm LDS, okay, and I, I'm not away from the church yet. And but when I go down to my um, apartment alone, you know, uh-huh. and all, 
and aside from all the churches and everything, I'll go down to my apartment and I'll pray, you know. Uh-huh. And, and I'll feel the Savior, and I'll feel his love for me. And, you know, that's so wonderful because it seems like in the world today there's so much commotion. There's so many different ideas. And the only peace I can really find is when I go down to my apartment alone, when I'm like on a one-on-one with the Savior, and it's just wonderful. And I, and the thing is, is when I watch you on TV, that brings me peace too because you have a lot of understanding, and you're, and you're kind. And I, I just have to tell you I love you, and I really appreciate your program. Thanks, man. That's very nice of you, Robert. Yeah. And thanks bet. and thanks for likening me to Alec Baldwin. He's much more good looking than Drew Carey. Yeah. But most of all, you know, I just feel like you're yourself and and you're you're Sean. And to me that's the heart of the matter and that's what's really cool. Thanks. So you know much. what I mean? All right. I appreciate it, man. God bless I, I you, my love brother. You. I love you, Sean. I do. And I I love you. And I, I don't agree with everything you say, but I love you, you know, and that's all. Thank yeah. thanks, Bob. What's, what's, is it, what did you say, Joy? Why is it important to resign from the church? Well, in some cases, I don't think it matters. And for, it's every, it's individual. Some people, okay. they do, some people, they don't. I don't think it really matters. It doesn't really matter, Joy. Okay. All right, my brother, thanks. Thanks, thanks, John. God thanks bless. You okay, bye-bye. bye-bye. We're going to Mike, first-time caller in Salt Lake City. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, John. Uh, good, good show and good points. I appreciate uh, listening to you every week. Um, you know, uh, my comment is uh, centered around church history. I've really been studying a lot about, you know, essentially what happened with Joseph Smith and all the people that surrounded him in the early days, pretty much out to... Uh, the expansion out to Jackson County, Missouri, uh-huh. and, um, you know, it's been really interesting. I've learned a lot about the church, and to me, it just seems like, um, you know, and I wanted to ask you, do you think the Brethren in Salt Lake have any idea what to do with Adam on Diamond and all the land that they purchased out there? I mean, the temple block is not even owned by the church. Um, I just... <clears throat> you know, I just think Joseph Smith was essentially the oracle of the church, and with him it kind of, you know, the whole movement essentially died, if you want to say it that way, and because of the Western expansion, you know, the church was essentially saved by coming out here. But then you've got all this in-between stuff, Adam on Diamond, the Garden of Eden, the New Jerusalem. Yeah. I, I just honestly don't think they know really what to make of, of all those uh, revelations, because according to Joseph Smith, the whole thing was supposed to be wound up about you know, early 1890s. So, you know, we've got this big interim thing that's still out there, and I just wanted to know what you uh, think about that. You know, I I think, uh, uh, Mike, that the LDS Church will hang on to those things as icons of the original church. I think that they own them. They probably paid nothing for them or little, and uh, at least for most of it. And they'll just keep it going so that the church history can coincide with physical places. I don't think that's really a concern of theirs, um, but that's just my opinion. I have no idea how they think or, or what they think of it. I really believe that they are faced more with a pressing issue of people taking their names off, of attrition, of uh, people leaving, not being able to retain and re, uh, the retention of the LDS people who joined the church. And I think they're seeing they have to make some changes regarding their church history relative to the facts that are available online. And so they're trying to make steps to keep that that Joseph Smith thing in place. And hopefully all this pressure 
in time will lead to them having their face slapped like when they had a Mormon president run for office and 97% of Utah votes for him and the rest of the nation doesn't uh, so far. You know, I think that these are eye-opening experiences for this pretty uh, limited group who haven't really looked out into the world. They're worldwide, but, you know, the leaders are pretty much Utah guys. And I think they're saying, wow, you know, how come the United States wouldn't embrace someone like Mitt Romney, who is so clean-cut and accomplished and a good guy and, and a good orator and he's handsome? Why would they not? Because he was Mormon. Well, why? Because people know the facts. So what are they going to do with that? I think that's the pressing issue, Mike. Yeah. So yeah. I hope things like someone mentioned you had a car that mentioned you know the uh, the papyrus in the book of Abraham. Yeah. I mean you know when you you know when you study that stuff and just find that there's just literally no basis for it, um, it just calls into question so much about Joseph Smith. Did he really know Egyptian? I mean, his Egyptian grammar and alphabet book is just a bunch of yeah. really garbage, you know and. Uh, just just before I let you go, I've been really interested in Thomas Stewart Ferguson. I don't know if your viewers yeah. know who that is, but um, fantastic individual. I went up to the U and have been studying his papers. And essentially, if you look at his papers, it was that papyrus in the Book of Abraham that pretty much tipped the scale for him. Yeah. So, We're going to get to him when we get to church history uh, present day in 2009. i got to move it, Mike. We're running out of time. Thanks, Sean. Hey, thanks for the call. Bye-bye. All right. Where do we go? Where do we go? We're going to DJ, first-time caller in Salt Lake City. DJ, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. I got two quick questions. Um, how do the Mormons uh, justify Joseph Smith's plural wives? Okay. And then uh, would God uh, have uh, will, will someone to, to sin? And what does the Bible say again about that? I'm just wondering. Okay, the Bible says uh, God does not cause anyone to sin, ever, and so that's completely um, uh, antithetical to the Bible. And Joseph's polygamy, what they do is they have a number of lines they'll use, and they'll throw them all at you if none of them are effective. But one of them is it was just for that time the church was young. There was a lot of single women running around who didn't have husbands. They couldn't have property rights. There was all kinds of stuff that they had to uh, bring back the original church which polygamy was a part of, according to them, if you look at Abraham. And so Joseph had to practice polygamy. He had to. He didn't want to, but he had to. And uh, then they'll say it was just for that time it's done away with now. None of those things hold water when you look at everything uh, uh, as a fact. So I hope that helps you out. We're down to the last 30 seconds, DJ, but thanks for the call, my friend. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. So we end another uh, show. We're going to continue on next week with uh, studying uh, post-fall and Mormon doctrine. We've had some uh, emails about why did we, why are we not covering church history? We took a break last year, ended again with Joseph Smith, and we're going to pick it back up with Brigham Young in 2009. And we're covering doctrine uh, from the Bible on the show this year, and we'll get back to the Bible and what they say about the fall. So listen, we hope you'll uh, tune in with us. They're getting together still on 5th South at the uh, Denny's, if you're interested in that. Until that time, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break my, I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my...